Welcome to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi. Are we back yet? No, but Vegas is starting to get there. In fact, this weekend appears to be the first time some of the casinos are opening their doors. Restaurants are starting to open and more. And who better to get us all the details than your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. This week's show also features a couple of fascinating authors. At first, we take the sports bra for granted, but its invention revolutionized women's sports. You'll meet the inventor of the sports bra, Lisa Z. Lindahl, who will discuss not only the product's creation, but the highs and lows of life as an entrepreneur. Finally, you may think that things can't get any worse. We've all experienced these thoughts, but author Nina Sussman-Pogue says this is not the end. Speaking of casinos, so which ones are going to open first? Which ones do you see coming on board last? Uh, you know, as we start making plans for those of us that are willing to take a chance, they might want to know what their options are initially. Yeah, it's it's sounding like the bigger companies uh, on the Strip are going to be doing this in a very slow and measured approach. Uh, it's going to be a couple of casinos each. I I think the latest that I heard was that Caesars Palace and Flamingo are likely to be the first in the Caesars Entertainment family. Uh, then Bellagio and one other, maybe Excalibur, maybe, I don't remember, uh, a couple of those on the MGM Resort side. I think they're really just trying to peg uh, demand at this point. I think the locals places, which uh, you know a lot of folks never venture off the strip, but a lot of these local places, I think they're going to open as, as soon as they can. I think locals are going to be much more likely to go back to their local place, uh, whether it's one of these pubs or taverns that has gaming, uh, some of these other casinos the, in, in the station, casinos family or the Boyd family. Uh, I think they're going to do pretty well. They're still going to have that 50% um, you know, capacity thing to deal with, but I think people are going to go back there pretty quickly. The Strip is just going to be much more deliberate. I actually heard something shocking today uh, that the MGM Resorts plan – is to open a couple and build slowly, you know, bring bring different resorts back online. But something like Aria, I had heard that this may not open until late in 2021, which is absolutely shocking. Uh, same thing with Mirage; those are likely uh, to not open in 2020 at all, which is just bewildering yeah. to me. Uh, other other places that are kind of standalone casinos, I uh, some of them have said all along, like, why are we even closed? So I think they're going to open a minute that they can. There's no, no, not going to be much ramp up for them. Okay, what about downtown? Uh, you know, because the Circa is that still on target? I, I assume Derek's going to uh, open that at the end of the year, uh, regardless. Yeah, the construction projects have continued. Um, they have just kind of they've instituted social distancing. So Circa's on schedule. Uh, Allegiant Stadium is still happening. The Sphere has been uh, put on hold uh, temporarily, I believe. Uh, Resorts World seems to be progressing. And the only one that's kind of fallen out is the Drew. The Drew never really got financing, so that one stopped. And I I don't believe the Drew is coming back. That was the former Fountain Blue. Uh, But Circa is set for December 2020. It's very exciting. Uh, My prediction was that downtown was going to be on a similar timeline as the locals' places because it's not as dependent on convention business, uh, but, uh, or uh, also the, uh, not a ton of uh, visitors from Asia, uh, which the Strip is very reliant on, but uh, in recently downtown has said they're kind of in a wait-and-see mode. One of the big challenges there is it's really based on drawing crowds. Like downtown, 
uh, pulling people in for the Viva Vision screen and the live entertainment, that's really kind of the, that's the draw. So uh, those big groups, I think, are still, they're, they're up in the air. So I think a couple of those casinos might uh, jump when they can, uh, but I think others are, are kind of, they're waiting to see because uh, because of limitations with air travel, uh, the Boyd uh, places downtown, Fremont, Main Street, and the Cal rely very heavily on, on customers from Hawaii. So that feed, feeds back into that, uh, you know, travel restrictions element. But other places that are kind of more independent, Binion's for Queens, uh, the D, Golden Gate, I think they'll they'll probably be ahead of the pack. Golden Nugget, I haven't heard anything from. So I don't know what's happening there. I know Tillman Fertitta is suffering because he has all these restaurants uh, across the country. They're losing like a million dollars a day or something. But that was a long answer to a short question. But I think downtown uh, is going to be in the mix. I heard uh, Plaza maybe May 28th. So everybody's looking like they're going to try to do it by June 1. But it remains to be seen because it's all contingent on what the governor says. Scott will be back again next week. Don't forget to read Scott every day at VitalVegas.com. What's the next chapter for Vegas in America? We don't know, but future successes will be led by entrepreneurs. And you're about to meet one right now. Great things always have a beginning. Think about products like light bulbs, how important that is to your life and all sorts of tools, and we always love to know how they came about. Well, we have a great story of an inventor. Her name is Lisa Lindell, and she wrote a new book talking about that and her entire very interesting life. It's called Unleash the Girls, and that invention is the first ever sports bra. And uh, Lisa, in fact, you didn't even call it a sports bra, did you, in the very beginning? <laughs> well, in the very, very beginning, Steve, we, we, um, I referred to it as the jock bra until... <laughs> I found out, well, that was maybe not the best name, so we changed it to Jog Bra. This is back in 1977, believe it or not. Oh, yeah, going back to, I remember those days. Now, you actually made this, the first one, right? came out of a jock strap. It's the same principle. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it started off really as a joke between my sister and I because we were uh, both, we'd both taken up running and discovered that the only uncomfortable part the non-joyous part of running was bouncing breasts, and that was distracting and uncomfortable. And she said, why isn't there a jock strap for women? Ha, ha, ha. You know, different <laughs> part of the body. And I thought, you know, it's funny, but it's not such a bad idea. Uh, that's how the um, idea was born. And the first truly working prototype um, that we came up with was two jock straps cut apart, and the pouches became cups, and the straps crossed in the back, and I went running in that contraption, and the engineering part of the uh, uh, that first prototype was solved by doing that. Well, you can see how important that could be because obviously, just the size of a woman's breasts alone kind of limited what they could do, right? I mean, obviously, it would be difficult. Some of sports that involved a lot of movement and so forth. Not only the embarrassing part, but just. In- completely the uncomfortableness of trying to do that. It's just, it, it, and the question I see as I run through your book, I'm thinking, well, I wonder why nobody thought of that sooner because uh, did that just kind of uh, coincide with the jump in women's athletics, that kind of thing? Well, let's, let's remember the times. The, the late 60s and the 70s were really a transformative time. I mean, very much like the times we're living through now, actually. It was full of change and um, up until 19, 
And it wasn't until 1972 that um, the Title IX was passed, which said that any federally funded educational program around sports had to have the same amount of money for girls' and women's teams and sports activities as for boys and men, 1972. And uh, and so that went a long way for getting women involved in exercise and sports, but it couldn't take away their self-consciousness and discomfort of what was going on with their breasts. That didn't happen until 1977 when I brought the sports bra to market. However, I want to, well, and what has been proven since then is the studies that have been done that show the dramatic increase in um, women and girls since uh, those uh, those years in the 70s. Well, you know, and, and I recall this in the late part of the 20th century, but I think the moment when probably you had to be smiling was that famous U.S. women's soccer game when uh, <laughs> <laughs> when she rips off the winning goal, rips off her shirt. She has a sports bra underneath, and that was like an acceptance of the world, saying, like, this is perfectly normal, and uh, it just made a... Any question about a sports bra and its place in culture, I think, was cemented that day. Did you feel that way when you saw it? Oh, absolutely. That was Brandy Chastain who, who did the winning goal. And, and I have to say that when I had the idea for a sports bra, I, you know, part of me said, and wouldn't it be great if it was modest enough that I could take off my T-shirt and tuck it in the back of my shorts like my male running partner did when, on those long, hot runs and there was Brandy. She did it, and you know, and no one really, no one blinked. I mean, the world roared on on one level, but everyone understood that. And that was really the sports bra is credited with launching this athleisure trend. You know, you women are wearing what are referred to as sports bras, really, as everyday wear now. It has really changed the landscape, and that's part of what I write about in Unleash the Girls. I mean. It, Yes, it's a story of, oh, how I came up with the idea and started a business and ran the business, but really it's about the changes that women have faced and are facing and how important coming right up against our challenges is, how important that is and how to do that. More with Lisa Z. Lindahl, author of Unleash the Girls, in just a moment. If you miss an episode of our show, don't worry. It's archived on our website, VegasNeverSleeps.com. You can also hear it on SoundCloud, iTunes, and more. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi, and we're talking with artist, activist, and inventor Lisa Z. Lindahl, author of Unleash the Girls. Well, Lisa, the book is not only about the, this really interesting story about how this bra was developed and so forth, but your story is amazing. I mean, you talk about a, a great woman's story. You managed to do this while living with epilepsy. Talk a little about what the restraints that put on you, and especially people forget, but back at that time, there weren't a lot of women in high finance and business and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, your entrepreneurship uh, really is an inspiration to women across the country. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's so nice of you to say. But, yeah, it was a very different – we were all raised to be, you know – teachers and, or nurses or, 
at best, or secretaries. In fact, I was a part-time secretary at the time, but really the expectation was for a woman that success was getting married and raising a family. And beyond that, nothing much. You couldn't even get a credit card in the late 60s if you were a woman. I mean, young women today, I don't know that they understand how far things have come, but at the same time, are very much the same. And part of what I want Unleash the Girls to do is, for me, I believe that women need to tell their women's stories. And everybody, whether you're a man or a woman, but everybody has their challenges. Everybody has something. And in my case, one of them, a big one, was epilepsy. And all the things I had been told I shouldn't do, I couldn't do, I didn't have a driver's license. No one had any great expectations for me making anything out of my life. Um, it, <laughs> everyone was impressed that I even got married, you know. <laughs> um, but um, so the book is really about how do you face those challenges? How do you know, how do you deal with the fear that's implicit with that and living through your vulnerabilities and coming right up to the edge of that fear. The story's interesting because you're really honest about it. I mean, you're when you say, well, like, when you got thrown into this, you know, you had the great idea and so forth, at first uh, you weren't really prepared for it. You didn't kind of have to learn on the job like we all do. Oh, I was so not prepared. I was so not, and I was very naive and, and very trusting and where perhaps I should not have been. I lost control of the business for for four years, really, and had to persevere and work hard and work with a difficult partner. We were very different people, and she was a woman. And, you know, I had this idea of by women, for women, and the sisterhood, and that kind of, that very much got challenged. And and uh, how did I, how did I deal with that? Why didn't I just leave, you know, let her force me out of the business and and I didn't. I persevered, and I had to face a lot of my own um, assumptions about myself, about power. I mean, what is power? What's the difference between power and strength? Right. And where does inner strength come from? And, you know, is power a bad thing? It's only a bad thing if it's power over. How do you empower? How do you empower yourself? <laughs> These were we were my partner and I, we were great teachers for each other because we were very different people. We were not, but we also both of us very much believed in this sports bra that it was our baby and we both wanted it to succeed. And so we chose to persevere and learn from each other. And the book is all about the ins and outs of that and how I failed and the places where I I didn't fail and trying again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can almost hear Helen Reddy singing I Am Woman when you read through this <laughs> because it's a great book in the sense that I think you really bring out in the book too kind of the excitement and the uh, ch- the, the great challenges that are involved that just because you invent something great, there's a lot more to it than that. And it's, it's a great primer for people reading that the uh, – 
it goes beyond the idea. I mean, you got to have the idea and it's a wonderful thing. But if you want to take it to the next level, then there's a whole nother uh, area of which to learn. And you certainly learned yeah. it the hard way by uh, just doing and kind of fighting through making your mistakes and going uh, and going forward. I did learn it the hard way, but it has been so rewarding. I mean, people ask me, why did you write this book all these years later? And it's because the sports bra has become a feminist icon, and my partners and I have been inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame, and the bras in the Smithsonian's Museum of American History, and in the Metropolitan Museum's uh, costume collection as a revolutionary piece of uh, women's underwear. I had no idea. I was just <laughs> solving my own problem, and now... I have young women coming up to me and say, what does it feel like to be a feminist icon? And I'm like, what? <laughs> that is very cool, you know, because it is so true and it is such an important invention. But, you know, you're one of those people. I, I see those at night. Hey, if you're an inventor here, you can get this. Well, you actually are one. I mean, you patented also a medical garment for breast cancer. Kind of explain a little about that. Oh, that was that. I am very proud of that. Oh, um, a physical ther uh, ther therapist came to me, and she treats breast cancer survivors from something called lymph lymphedema, and I knew nothing about that. And she was jerry-rigging old sports bras to treat swelling in the chest and breast of these breast cancer survivors. And she said, Lisa, please help me make something specifically for them using what you know about um, sports bras and compression and encapsulation of the breast. And so she knew what the garment would need to be, how what design it needed to have. And I knew something about where to go to find the uh, manufacturing and um, fabrics and how to set up a business and all of that. So in 2000, um, I formed Belief uh, and we made the Compressor Comfort Bra, and Dr. Leslie Bell is my partner in that, and it is a fabulous product, and it has a utility patent. It's sold all over the world, and it is really a great relief for women, a huge percentage of women who have had any kind of procedure related to um, breast cancer that has involved the lymph nodes are at risk for uh, truncal lymphedema. And so the Belize Compressor Comfort Bra uh, is the answer for that. And you can find it through your physical therapist. More in a moment from the author of Unleash the Girls, Lisa Zeelandahl, inventor of the first women's general exercise bra in just a moment. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. With us today is Lisa Z. Lindahl, author of Unleash the Girls and member of the National Inventors Hall of Fame. Well, these are just fantastic inventions. You know, getting back to the sports bra for a second, I, I know people that run, and they have told me without that, women would never have gotten to the level because the only people that were running before were people that had the physical attributes to be able to do that. And that's quite, quite limiting. 
<laughs> well, did, did I say know, that nice enough? You know what I mean. <laughs> well, it it was it could be limiting and it could be uncomfortable. Women were going doing things like wrapping themselves in ace bandages or wearing two bras. And now when you Google sports bras, there's an entire range of sports bras. Every and some of them are functional and really work and some of them are more about looking like a sports bra. There's the entire gamut and and that is wonderful. I think that is really wonderful. Unleash the Girls really talks about how a garment can be a source of empowerment. I mean, clothing has always reflected what's going on sociopolitically in a culture. And, of course, I had no idea about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Back in 1977. But because... Because women were running, because women were starting, you know, all the, the, the whole fitness craze really started in the early 70s. And it got women out of the house. And being active does empower one. We, we all know that. You know, whether you're competing or not, it's not about competition. It's about having a strong body. It's about being friends with your body. And you got to have the proper equipment. To, yeah. Um, participate. Well, and last question then: Are you excited when you see that it's become a fashion statement? As you said, you know, all the sportswear companies they want theirs to be the most attractive and so forth. There's a purpose in it, but now it's something you also uh, can look good at. Like you say, it's accepted everywhere. Yeah, it's great. I'm. I am pr- at first. I'm very proud. I'm very proud of um, having done this. I'm, I, you know, had I known back in the day that that's what I was doing, who knows if I even would have done it, but I didn't. I was just solving my own problem. And so that's a really important lesson that if you see a better solution or have an idea for a new solution, go forward with it. When, when I talk to young entrepreneurs, I say, follow your passion, follow, make sure your passion is in line with your purpose and follow that, have that be your guiding star. Incredible advice. A great book. Great book not only for young girls. I think it's an inspiration. But it's important for the males to be reading this, too. It's just a great story. It's called Unleash the Girls. Yeah, it's great by Lisa Lindell. And Lisa, where can we get it? I'm sure um, nowadays it's going to be something all over, right? Amazon and so forth. Yes, Unleash the Girls, the untold story of the invention of the sports bra can be found on Amazon and all your online retailers, Barnes and Noble, uh, and uh, also you can go, you can call your local bookstore and ask them to order it for you if you'd like to support them. You can find me on my website, lisalindahl.com, L-I-S-A-L-I-N-D-A-H-L.com. I also have an author page on Amazon and a Facebook page, Lisa Lindahl. Um, and you can look at the book there and order it there. I'd be really happy if you did. Oh, it, and you'll be happy if you get it. It's a great read. Thanks, Lisa. I really enjoyed chatting with you today. Thank you so much, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Lisa's story is one of overcoming adversity. Resilience is important to achieve success. Our next guest reminds us that adversity is often not as bad as it seems. With the events of the last few weeks, a lot of us are saying, 
this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. What am I going to do? My life is over. It reminds me of the old Doors song where he sings, this is the end, my friend. But it's not the end. In fact, that book we're going to talk about today is This Is Not The End, written by Nina Sessaman Pogue. Nina, it really isn't, right? I mean, no matter how bad something looks, it's going to pass. It is going to pass. And thank you so much for having me on to share this uh, message that it's going to pass. We're all going to be uh, uh, alive and on the other side of it uh, and have stories to tell and we do often feel like this is the end when we're faced with a big um, adversity that was not part of our plan. So uh, it's it, it's difficult when you get a little plot twist thrown in there. And for many people, um, you know, this is a devastating a devastating chapter. Well, it, it really is. And you must uh, think to yourself, my God, my book should be in everybody's library. Because really, I think in unprecedented numbers, we're feeling that way right now. We are. So two things. That One, I, I, we put the book out for, it wasn't supposed to come out till, um August. So we moved it up and made it available for 99 cents online. For any, so anybody can just grab the ebook, Kindle, Nook, Apple Reader, whatever. Because it does, it, and I've gotten great feedback, but it is helping some people who knew that when I wrote it. It was not about a pandemic in any way, shape, or form. But it, it is, it's, it's, it's widespread. And, you know, this is one of those things uh, that globally we will all have this chapter in the stories of our lives. And for the first time, anywhere you go to some other country, even those little countries we don't even, we can't even pronounce correctly, we're all going to have these stories of where were you during the pandemic of 2020? Like we all have 9-11 stories now. You know how you get together for a beer yeah. and people are like, where were you? Yeah, so people are going to say, where were you in the pandemic of 2020? You know, what did you do? When you think about it and you talk about your own life, and we're going to go through some of these things, this isn't, unfortunately, this isn't going to be the last one. There's going to be things that happen. This one, like you say, is something we all share globally, but there might be something that just happens to you individually. It's really part of life, and you got to learn how to deal with it. Right, right. The word I kept coming back to is this word resilience. You know, we have people that talk about grit and persistence, like, the, you know, just keep going and powering through. There's, those people are probably having the toughest time right now because you can't just keep doing what you've been doing, but try harder and go harder. The word resilience is about adapting and changing um, the, uh, the ability to learn and grow stronger from adversity. Uh, that's what resilience is and adapt in a positive way to whatever happens in our lives. That is the definition of resilience from the Institute of Resilience. So I, I keep coming back to that. And we're all going to have this collective moment where we had to, you know, sit and make a change and do things differently. And this won't be the only one. In those chapters ahead for all of us, we're going to have other things that happen, great things. So we have that to look forward to and tough things. And this is going to tough us, toughen us up a little bit uh, for those tough things. Each time we handle adversity and we get through it, we get a little tougher, we get a little stronger, we grow that resilience. So that's really an important piece of the the global, you know, collective thing that we are all going through. You know, and I think a lot of people are saying, well, that's great, Nina, but what have you been through? But you really are the picture of resilience. Starting from a, as a little kid, your dream is to be a gymnast. And uh, again, things don't turn out the way you'd like. 
Yeah, so I had a very storied past. It seems strange to even say it out loud because it's like, who does all that? But I was a I was a gymnast at a very young age, and I was um, an Olympic hopeful. So I was on the U.S. gymnastics team uh, and traveled to Japan, Hungary, Germany, all over the world. And but I didn't make the team in '84, and that was a devastating uh, thing for for a teenager, you know, to have moved away from home at 13. You put everything into that, and then not make it is devastating. And then I went to college, and I was a D1 athlete in college, and was one of the top recruits, you know, having been at that level in my sport. And then I blew out my knee. And so there was the end of my sport and had to figure out what was next. And then I got into television and I had great success in television. I was a, a reporter and then I was a news anchor and I was a very well-liked news anchor in the town I was living in. And then I got let go at the top of my game in a budget cut. I mean, I literally won. I was in Charleston, South Carolina. I won Charleston's favorite news anchor for the seventh year in a row on a Thursday and was let go on a Friday in budget cuts. I had to reinvent myself. And then I went on and I, I went to another TV station. I had great success there. And then I had a really horrific accident that I was involved with. And, and after that, I had to really, uh, some dark moments and I had to really think about how to reinvent myself again. Um, and then I got out and got into tech and I had great success in tech. I had a company, went through startup and took the company public. So I had some great success there. But the, the ups and downs, the book is about you know, it is that what doesn't kill you, make you makes you stronger. It's about using the really down times in your life to build that resilience, to be stronger on the other side. The reason I've had such, such successes is because I've overcome, you know, some really difficult things. There's actually a chapter in the book I talk about all other people who have gone through tough things. Um, and, and usually, you know, if you find someone who has gone through something really, you know, who's had, achieved great success, They've usually gone through something pretty difficult. It wasn't easy getting there. More with Nina Sussman Pogue, author of This Is Not The End, Strategies to Get You Through the Worst Chapters of Your Life, in just a moment. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manchin. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manchin. We are chatting with the author of This Is Not The End, Strategies to Get You Through the Worst Chapters of Your Life, Nina Sussman Pogue. I'm glad you did that. I mean, you talked about Oprah Winfrey, and a lot of people have heard about that, Lady Gaga, and big, huge stars. And one of the funny things was when I was in my early days in radio, there was a gentleman that uh, was quite up in a, in a major market program director who sent, sent me a thing said, oh, you know what? You don't have the voice for this. This isn't your thing. You should look into something else. And it was devastating until I found out that Rush Limbaugh, maybe the f- most famous person in talk radio, was told the exact same thing by the exact same guy. So w- <laughs> when I saw that, I thought, it, it's really good to remind yourself that Everybody else goes through this, too. And when you think of a Tiger Woods, Steve Jobs, people like that, having their moments of doubt, having their difficulties, it lets you know that we're all in this together when it comes. So it's just a matter, and your book really does it, of how you deal with this. Yeah, I call them the thises. So there's, we all have our this, and that's why it's called this is not the end, because your this is different from my this. Um, so whatever it is that you're going through, I, the book is written like I'm helping you as a mentor. I'm sitting at the end of my dock and helping you through something difficult. And it's your this. Um, and so I talk about that. But we all have big thises and, and, and capital, you know, all caps, T-I-H-S, and then the everyday thises, and then the lowercase thises. And so 
our ability to handle them, um, the little everyday this is like the traffic and, you know, without losing it, losing your cool or spilling coffee into your laptop or something, you know, those are the everyday things that you just got to deal with to keep going in life. They don't make the big story of your life. But the big this is, the all caps ones, um, a big a divorce or getting fired or a, a diagnosis of a horrible disease or a traumatic accident. Those are big this that take your life in a new direction. Figuring out how to manage through those are difficult. But if you handle a lot of the little stuff, it kind of builds you up to be able to do the tough. The first thing you say, and I think that really has to start here, it makes sense, is changing the narrative in your head. How do you do that? So we're all doing it right now. We're all writing the story of our lives. You are, I am. Uh, right now in this moment, you're on a page in a book of, that is your story. So picture the book of your life, you know, the whole book of your life, and, and that you open it up to a page that is today. Um, there's everything that led up to today, and then we're having this crossover moment right now. Stephen, you and I are in, like, each other's books right now, which is kind of cool. So you're at right. this moment, where, and, like, collectively as a globe, we're all having this, you know, COVID chapter in our books. What's really exciting is all the pages ahead from this moment in your book. So I'm maybe in the middle of my 50s. Some people are closer to the beginning. Maybe some people are closer to the end. But all the pages ahead, they're blank. And you're creating that story. And that is the narrative in your head creates that story. So if you are stuck at home or are you safe at home? Are you doing what you can to make a difference to the people around you? Or are you just complaining to the people around you? Um, you are creating, you have control over a lot right now. Uh, and part of what I talk about in the book is um, looking at your situation and figuring out what you do have control over. And the language, what you say in your head comes out of your mouth and then it becomes your story. So say you get fired tomorrow uh, and you are angry and, you, you know, if someone calls from your office and says, oh, how you doing? And you're like, oh, I can't believe let me go. And I work harder than Carol does. And, you know, Bob's a jerk and I, he's still there. And like, I'm just so, you know, this isn't fair. That's your story. You just, it was in your head, it came out of your mouth, and they hang up the phone, and they, like, they're like, hey, how's, how are they doing? And that's what they say. That becomes your story. Now, on the other end of it, they call you, and you go, well, you know, I didn't see it coming, and tough time for everybody, and hey, I, I'm looking. If you, anybody in there knows anybody that's hiring or where I can do some work, let me know. Like, then they hang up the phone, and that becomes, then they're like, how are they doing? Like, oh, hit them. You know, they didn't see it coming, but, you know, they understand it's a tough time, and if anybody's, you know, that becomes the story. So we do have control over our stories right now. And that language, controlling the narrative of who you are in any situation, that is fully in our control, even during this very difficult time. And also, it, and it's hard to do. When these things are going on, it just seems like this is going to be this way. This is so intense. But as you say, all these traumatic events, even something like the Great Depression, which was years, it's still a fraction of your life. It is not your entire life. And it's, it's, you got to remember that. Yeah. Well, my favorite chapter in the book is chapter six. And I do the math around it. I'm a little nerdy. And I kind of do the math of your life and create a timeline. And um, the best way to explain that is, do you remember when you were 10 years old, like how long the summers felt? Like the days just oh, so yeah. much time. <laughs> yeah. Like those are just magical. Like when you're a kid in summer. Well, now go to when you're, um, when you're a parent and they zoom by, you know, it's very different. Well, when you're a kid, that year when you're 10 years old is one-tenth of your whole life. That, that's one-tenth of your whole life. It's a big chunk of what you know. When you're 40, and your parents are that 10-year-old, when you're 40, that is one-fortieth of right. your whole life. If you're 70, it's one-seventieth. If you weren't who were around for the depression, yeah, or whatever. That, that's different, too. But 
that is the same 365 days is one tenth, one fortieth, one seventieth. It's the same 365 days. So the math works with you as you get older. That's where perspective comes from. That's why people look at things differently. That's why I could write this book and look back uh, and go, oh, well, when I lost my sport when I was 19, it did feel like my whole world was ending because I was 19 and it was 80% of what I knew had been in a gym. You know, yeah. and then, and then what, but by the time I was 50 and my kids left for college, 40% of what I knew had been parenting and only 28% of what I knew had been in a gym. So the perspective changes, the math changes over time. And I hope that's encouraging to people as they look at this. This is one chapter in their lives. It's not their whole lives. It is just one chapter and it'll be a part of your big story, but it's not the whole story. It's not always going to feel like this right now. Right. You know, five years from now, it, it, it's going to be the story you tell. It's not this day-to-day thing. How are you getting through it? I mean, we're all there right now. We feel like we wake up and we go, Ned, Ned Ryerson. Like it's on <laughs> one day. We do it over. I keep doing that to people on the street. Ned, Ned Ryerson, is that you? <laughs> yeah, there is a feel to the uh, Groundhog Day thing. You know, there's no question. Yeah. We all go through those times. We'll go through them again. But this book, you got to get it. It's called This Is Not The End. And Nina, how do we get it? You can get it right now because uh, we got it out there as quick as we could uh, in this current situation for 99 cents on all of your ebook readers. So whether you're Apple or your Apple Reader, your Nook or your Kindle, it's only 99 cents. Um, and again, the book wasn't supposed to come out until August. We pulled it up early so we could help in any way that we could. And then the print book is out now as well. You can get it at Barnes Noble, Books Million, Amazon. You can order it and get it delivered to your door. Um, so it's available anywhere you buy books. Well, hopefully, Nina, this won't be the end. We'll talk again. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Have a great holiday weekend. Stay safe. This is Stephen Madge reminding you, Vegas never sleeps. <laughs>